0: Today, we're talking about this Logan Paul, Dylan Danis, Nina Agdahl situation spiraling even more out of control. These wild surges at the border are causing a full-blown crisis. The war against work from home is getting mixed results. Epic Games and Fortnite might actually owe you money. We're gonna tell you how to get it. There's hope but weirdness surrounding the writer's strike negotiations. We've now got Saudi Arabia threatening to build nukes. We're gonna talk about all that and so much more in today's extra large Philip DeFranco show. You daily dive into the news, so just make sure you're subscribed and let's jump into it. Starting with, a judge has now approved Nina Agdahl Doll's restraining order against Dylan Dennis. And right, if you're unfamiliar, we've talked about this situation in the past. Logan Paul and Dylan are scheduled to fight each other next month. And in the lead up to that, Dylan has gone way beyond the usual trash talk for these kind of events and instead opted to repeatedly harass and slut shame Logan's fiance, Nina, posting memes or pictures suggesting she's dated and slept with a lot of men, saying he has harmful images of her. And this, not just a few times, but seemingly over and over with no end in sight. But earlier this month, she filed a lawsuit against Dylan over this, specifically calling out sexually explicit posts that he made about her. And with that, seeking a restraining order to stop this behavior, which is just been relentless, but is then getting a major update from TMZ yesterday reporting that the restraining order is now in full effect. There was a temporary order initially granted earlier this month, barring him or anyone tied to him from posting sexually explicit photos of her, and then there was a hearing on Tuesday for the case, but Dylan reportedly didn't show up, nor did he file opposition papers in the two weeks that he was given, and so the judge granted a full restraining order, which will reportedly remain active until further notice from the judge. And on top of this, lawyer Robert Freund tweeted that Nina has also added a defamation claim to her case over a post Dylan made suggesting she has HIV. And so in response to all that, well, Dylan's still posting about Nina even if it's not explicit. He also called the defamation claim bullshit, he attacked Logan, called him a coward, saying he put a ring on a thought. But ultimately, that's where we are, and I really only have two thoughts in my mind right now. One, I mean, is this fight actually gonna happen? Because like, there's a lot of hype around it, but it's also spiraled fucking out of control. And two, if the fight does happen, does everything just end there, or does it just continue to get worse? And then, go alone, any one of us are just a puny, little, pathetic human being, but together, we can be a collective superhero. Or a villain, I mean, we see that a lot, but in this case, hero. And that's because in this rare DeFranco show positive story, you have this cop in Georgia doing his rounds when he spots a car allegedly speeding down the highway late at night. With a men soon afterward finding the same vehicle now overturned, apparently having lost control and crashed into a median. Three passengers crawling out of the wreckage alive, but pleading to the officer to help the driver who was still stuck. Right, because the 19-year-old driver had been partially ejected from the car through the sunroof, and so now his head and upper torso were getting crushed between the roof and the road, and he was struggling to breathe. Which is when the officer, not wasting any time, grabs a bystander and says, "Real, well, he can't breathe. you you're gonna lift this car up right now yes. with them then together grabbing the vehicle and pushing but this thing weighs thirty six hundred pounds it's way too heavy for them but then three more cops and another car full of good samaritans they show up and with their collective strength the first officer orchestrates this one big effort also as a head up the the weird inspirational music is not mine the, the cops seem to have put it in there come on y'all we got this come on y'all yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> With them creating enough space for the driver to slide out. The men reportedly treated at the hospital for several injuries, though, uh, not a completely positive story for him. As well, this group did save his life, Uh, he is still getting hit with several charges. So still a positive story, I imagine, for him. Better that than dead. And then, could this mean that there's finally an end in sight to the writer's strike? Does this mean that I'm gonna be able to see Beyond the Spider-Verse before I die? Those are questions that we don't have definitive answers for yet, but things are potentially closer than they have been since the strike started over 140 days ago. That's because the Writer's Guild held talks with the AMPTP, the group representing the studios yesterday. sources have said that the session was very encouraging. With some of the big guns there, including the likes of Disney CEO Bob Iger, Netflix co-CEO, Ted Sarandos, Warner Bros. Discovery CEO David Zaslav, and NBC Universal Chief Content Officer Donna Langley all attending. And very notably, while well, you have a lot of news outlets saying, hey, progress is being made, all we've actually really heard from the WGA and the AMPTP is a brief statement confirming that the two parties met yesterday, with them also announcing that they were meeting again today. So, not really any details from the two groups, but something just the fact that they released a joint statement is a good sign. And again, reports from many outlets are generally optimistic, though some have even gone even further. The CNBC citing sources saying that a tentative deal could be reached today, but also saying if a deal is not reached, the strike could last through the end of the year. And so with that, we've seen some mixed responses to this report. With Some saying the potential end of the strike is good news, wanting it to be true, hoping that the deal's gonna be good for the writers. But then you have others very hesitant to trust these sources, concerned that the sources might just be the studios trying to get people's hopes up, or gonna dangle the carrot in front of the writers to get them to take a lesser deal. But other people also just think the whole, this deal is either gonna go through today or the strike's gonna go into the next year idea is kinda weird. Saying so It sounds almost like an ultimatum, some calling it fear-mongering, a nonsensical empty threat. And tons of people with that also emphasizing now, more than ever, it's very important for people to rely on the WGA itself for information. Right, noting that the only official news is the statement saying they're meeting today. But also, with this, I do wanna note, like, let's say it happens today or it happens in four months, whenever it happens. Once the writer's strike ends, it's not like we're gonna have an immediate return to normal for Hollywood. Because remember, while the writers and the actors are on strike at the same time, those are two separate strikes. Unless something changes, the actors will still be on the picket lines, they've been there for around 70 days. And, you know, it's gonna be hard to make movies and TV shows that can't be filmed without them. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Words are words, actions are actions. And I don't believe a damn thing until something actually gets signed. And then, were you a stupid kid that spent all of your parents' money on Fortnite? Or are you a parent furious that your child somehow drained $20,000 of your money on Goku skins and dances? Well, if that happens to be the case, I got fantastic news for you because the FTC announced earlier this week that 37 million people are eligible for a refund from Epic Games. With this being a part of a 2022 agreement with Epic that saw the company offering to pay $520 million to settle government allegations that it had tricked consumers, especially kids, into buying in game items. Which, I mean, That alone violates federal law, but making matters even worse was that when parents went back to dispute the charges, Epic would lock the associated Fortnite account. Now, unfortunately, as far as the money going to people, only about half of the 520 million will be available to consumers. Also, there's a criteria list to be eligible. I'll be throwing those on the screen, but the TLDR is you could be eligible for a refund if you were charged V-Bucks for unwanted in-game items between 2017 and 2022, and or your kid charged your credit card between 2017 and 2018, and or you were locked out of an account between 2017 and 2022 for issuing a chargeback. And you can find all of this on the Epic FTC's claim filing website, which is ftc.gov slash fortnite. Which, I mean, for Epic Games and Fortnite, don't think of this as like a lawsuit and a settlement. Think of this as an unexpected collab. I mean, who would have thought fortnite would have a .gov? But then, of course, one of the final things here is one of the biggest questions is, how much will you actually get from the refund? And honestly, that really depends, because the biggest factor is how many people file a claim. Which, I mean, that's just not gonna be a known thing until January 17th of next year, which is the cutoff date. And then, Philip Paxson had no idea that this night in September 2022 would be the last time he ever saw his family. Right, this 47-year-old father attended his nine-year-old girl's birthday party at a friend's house in Hickory, North Carolina, with him staying behind to clean up after his wife drove his two daughters back home, with him then leaving in his own car to join them and he used Google Maps because the neighborhood was unfamiliar to him. And with the weather being both dark and rainy, he apparently couldn't see well enough to tell that the bridge that Google was directing him to had actually collapsed nearly a decade earlier. And so his Jeep went off the edge and plunged 20 feet into Snow Creek, where he drowned. And so now his family is suing Google, alleging that it negligently failed to update its map. And this notably, despite local residents repeatedly contacting the company about it since 2013, according to the lawsuit, with the spot becoming so notorious it earned the nickname The Bridge to nowhere. It also appears that Google may not be the only party to blame here, because reportedly the barriers that should have been in place across the bridge entrance were missing due to vandalism. And so that's why the family is also suing three local companies, arguing they had a duty to maintain the bridge. And ultimately this is going to be something we have to keep our eyes on, because as far as Google's response, you know, they expressed some condolences, but otherwise it stayed quiet pending the litigation. And then, y'all know I'm a huge fan of our longtime sponsor, Vessi, because they enable us the chance to get out more. With whatever the weather may be, allowing our feet to stay dry so we can stay outside and actually enjoy the weather. But also, did you know that they've added to their collection of waterproof products? Or With fall upon us, you gotta check out Vessi's The Overcast Jackets. They're 100% waterproof and wind-resistant with a soft fleece lining and customizable hood to shield from unpredictable weather. And Vessi's latest sneaker, the Soho, might be my new favorite. Where they've elevated their sneaker game with these while still keeping your feet dry and super comfortable. They seriously look so good in both dark and light colorways. And lots of you are carrying around sling bags, and Vessi has their shoreline that not only looks good, but has huge functionality with internal and the coveted external water-resistant and zipper pockets for easy accessibility and a key ring for even more convenience. Vessi creates products that let you thrive in water while supporting organizations that protect and create fresh water where it's needed most around the world. So go check out Vessi. They have a style for everyone and you'll get 15% off your entire order when you go to Vessi.com DeFranco. That's Vessi.com slash DeFranco for 15% off right now. And then Saudi Arabia and nukes. Let's talk about it. because Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed Salman just warned on Fox News that if Iran gets nuclear weapons, then Saudi Arabia will too. With him then going on to justify the threat by saying that it would be for security reasons and for balancing power in the middle east but we don't want to see that now with that being said he says that his preference seemed to be that no one gets more nuclear weapons however you know we live in a world where iran doesn't really care what saudi arabia wants and has actively been seeking nuclear weapons for well over a decade now and they've also been hinting that they're losing patience with the biden administration which had indicated last year that it wanted to go back to the 2015 nuclear deal talks on that have sputtered and iran is pushing the issue which also like i'm not a fan of the iranian government but why would they trust the united states here there was a nuclear deal then a new person got in the White House and they were like, fuck that nuclear deal. And then you get another guy back and he's like, hey, no, the nuclear deal was good. But here's the thing, the crazy thing is that it's not just Saudi Arabia threatening action if a rival gets nukes. With Russia and North Korea getting closer than usual lately, South Korea warned at the UN that if North Korea got information on how to enhance its nuclear weapons, South Korea wouldn't idly stand by. And while it's unclear exactly what that meant, the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, also blasted Russia for its growing ties with North Korea and how it's not only making matters in Ukraine worse, but also the Korean Peninsula. without a doubt, South Korea wouldn't need nuclear weapons to deal with North Korea. Is one of the most modern militaries in the world. But what's scary looking into this is that there are many countries that don't have nuclear weapons, but have the materials and know how to essentially build one tomorrow if they wanted, South Korea included. And it essentially just becomes a numbers and statistics game. Or with a limited number of people who have nuclear weapons and have had them in the past, there have been close calls. Where shit could've just went sideways. And the likelihood of shit going sideways just goes up when there are more buttons to have fingers on. But yeah, I guess just more bad news for those of us who hope that the chances of a nuclear holocaust would go down over the last few decades. And then, this Canada-India situation is continuing to fall apart. With this latest news hitting Canadians who are hoping to eat, pray, love their way through India. And that's because today, the Indian government stopped issuing all categories of visas, including e-visas to Canadian nationals, even if they apply through a third country. With the Indian Foreign Ministry painting this move as a technical and security issue, saying the embassy and consulates in Canada were temporarily unable to process visas because of safety threats. So, of course, most observers are chalking this up to yet another retaliation for Justin Trudeau's accusation on Monday that Indian agents assassinated a Canadian Citizen on Canadian soil. With that being the Sikh community leader Hardeep Singh Nijar, who was shot by two masked gunmen outside his temple in June. Right, with him notably having been an advocate for the creation of an independent state of Khalistan, a Sikh separatist movement that's banned in India, and he had been declared a wanted terrorist by the Indian government. Right, so basically, between Canada and India, one man's freedom of speech is another's terrorism. And as we talked about on Tuesday, this led to Canada expelling an Indian diplomat and then India to expel a Canadian diplomat. And today, the Indian Foreign Ministry also signaled that more expulsions are likely to come, saying that India harbors more Canadian diplomats and vice versa. And that, After yesterday, the ministry advised Indian citizens living or traveling to Canada to exercise utmost caution because so-called anti-India activities and politically condoned hate crimes and criminal violence in Canada. And that coming hours after Canada also announced it's pulling some of its own diplomats out of India due to threats on social media. So really with the way things are headed right now, it looks like tensions between these two countries, which had already been worsening for months, are only getting hotter. Which you may not realize is this is a very big deal because they have pretty close ties. There are around 1.4 million people of Indian origin living in Canada, half of whom are Sikhs, making up nearly 4% of the population. And as of 2021, Canadians were the fourth most populous tourist group in India. So of course, I wanna know everyone's thoughts on this story, especially if you are from or you have family in Canada or India. How is this story hitting you? And then the situation in Texas has gotten out of control and we gotta talk about it, right? And what I'm talking about here are the thousands of migrants that have crossed the Southern border into the small town of Eagle Pass, Texas over the last few days. Currently, the exact numbers are unclear because there are a lot of contradicting reports. Sources like the New York Times and the Washington Post placing the number of people who crossed Wednesday at around 2,500. Meanwhile, Fox News and the New York Post yesterday put that figure at 4,000. And then at the same time, a number of local outlets said that 4,000 number actually comes from the amount of migrants who entered the country over the course of two days. But the one thing that most outlets agree on across the board is that the influx includes large numbers of people from Venezuela and that thousands more migrants are headed for the Eagle Pass crossing in the next few days. But regardless of the exact number, what we're seeing is simply too many migrants for Eagle Pass to handle. And so now you have officials scrambling to deal with what they've described as a crisis. I mean, we're talking about a town of just 28,000 people. And officials have said that the city's only shelter provider is unable to accommodate the arrival of so many people so suddenly. So as a result, many of these people were just released onto the streets of the city with the mayor of Eagle Pass saying, they are walking around the streets, the hospital is getting swamped also, And right now, most of the migrants are being held under a bridge near a city park, which has prompted comparisons to a similar crisis in 2021 when more than 15,000 Haitian migrants entered the city of Del Rio and were crowded under a bridge for several days. And so in response to all this, the mayor of Eagle Pass declared a state of emergency yesterday seeking additional support and resources, with the Biden administration then responding by announcing that it'll send an additional 800 active duty personnel to the border who will join the 2,500 National Guardsmen already there. Meanwhile, you have Border Patrol officials saying they would temporarily stop processing vehicles at an international bridge connecting Mexico and Eagle Pass, so agents there could be redirected to help take migrants into custody. You've also got Texas Governor Greg Abbott saying he would be sending more authorities to the border, though that seemingly was not in response to the crisis at hand. With him claiming in a tweet that Federal Border Patrol agents had cut some of the razor wire he had installed along the Rio Grande and Eagle Pass, and adding, I immediately deployed more Texas National Guard to repel illegal crossings and install more razor wire. And so that's the thing to understand here. There is a lot going on, and there are a lot of moving parts. And while this latest crisis in Eagle Pass is definitely one of the worst that we've seen in recent years, it's not the only place being impacted. This is coming as the U.S. has seen a major surge in illegal border crossings in recent weeks. And in fact, according to officials, there were 8,000 arrests this past Monday, which is a number that hasn't been seen since surges in early May. And one that's almost double the figures from mid-April when illegal crossings averaged around 4,900 a day. And these increased crossings are especially notable because they follow several weeks of declines that came after the ending of the pandemic era rule that prevented migrants from being expelled from the country. But also these recent migration spikes are going beyond just border towns. Right? I mean, New York has been in the news a ton recently for its ever-growing crisis from a massive influx of asylum seekers. And actually with that, just yesterday the Biden administration announced that it would be off temporary legal status to nearly half a million Venezuelan migrants already in the U.S. allowing them to work and live in the U.S. legally for 18 months, with officials saying this move will apply to roughly 470,000 Venezuelans who had entered the U.S. by July 31st of this year. This is a move that will also temporarily protect them from deportation and significantly speed up the process of getting work authorization. And a key thing to understand there is those moves actually come at the urging of numerous top lawmakers and officials in New York, Chicago, and other cities that have faced serious strains on their social safety net programs and shelter capacity from the influx of migrants, raising concerns that those services would break under the Unless migrants were given the ability to work and support themselves ASAP. But all this, obviously, a developing situation and one we're going to have to keep our eyes on. And in the meantime, I'd love to know your thoughts. And then, oh, man, do you hate it when you're missing that key ingredient like syrup for your pancakes or maybe your favorite coffee cream? And well, thanks to the fantastic sponsor of today's show, DoorDash, you can get groceries delivered to you right when you need them. Or you've trusted DoorDash to deliver your restaurant favorites, but did you know that you can get grocery delivery too? With thousands of grocery stores to choose from, you'll find the best in your neighborhood and boost your local economy with each and every order. You'll get exactly what you ordered, or they'll make it right. So just sit back and enjoy quality groceries just like you pick them yourself. And with easy substitutions right in the app and best-in-class customer support, DoorDash delivers groceries exactly how you want it. And you want even more value? You can save on all your grocery and restaurant favorites with a $0 delivery fee on all eligible orders with a DashPass membership. DashPass is key, trust me. So get 50% off your first DoorDash order up to a $20 value when you use code FILL at checkout. It's a limited time offer, terms apply. And remember, that's 50% off up to $20, no minimum subtotal, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter in code fill. Don't forget that is code fill for 50% off your first order with DoorDash. And then the remote work boom is coming to an end and we need to talk about how that comes with a lot of the fallout and changes to the modern workforce. Because back in 2020 when offices closed and people started working from home we all wondered how long is this going to last? Will it be a few months until a vaccine gets made or if it's working is it just going to stay this way? You know there were a lot of people who really thought that last option sounded appealing. But for many of those same people the party might be ending. Because if you haven't already been hit with a back to office mandate it's likely coming soon. With 90% of companies planning to implement a return to office policy by the end of this year, according to a survey of a thousand company leaders. And these are not all like gentle, hey, come in if you want, the doors wide open kind of policies. Right, I mean you had 30% saying they will threaten to fire staff who don't comply with office mandates. And we've seen that kind of strict no ifs, ands, or buts rule not sitting well with a lot of workers who have come to value flexibility above all else when it comes to their jobs. But here we are, the reality of the landscape is you have major companies like Meta asking staffers to come in three days a week, Amazon telling people to come to the office or update that resume and buy an interview suit, or even places like Google saying they'll factor office attendance into performance reviews. With Google tracking badge data wanting people in at least three days a week, which reverses a previous policy that allowed Google staffers to relocate and work from anywhere. And actually, I mean, it just passed, but Labor Day was a huge return to office deadline for a ton of major companies, with the likes of FedEx, Lyft, and now even Zoom wanting people back in cubicles by early September. Which, yes, it is not lost on me that the company that made remote working thrive during the pandemic is now making employees actually go in. And while some people do enjoy office life or hybrid schedules, this is a very frustrating change for others. With a number of people having uplifted their lives because working from home allowed them to. And you even have places like Redfin finding that one in 10 people selling their homes are doing so because they've been given a return to office mandate. Something many of those people probably didn't think they'd be doing because back in the day, many companies made it seem like work from home would be a long-term option, right? Praising how productive people were in 2020, the likes of Mark Zuckerberg even saying it had a future. But now many execs are changing their tune. So the question is why? And well, we're seeing the reasons vary. Some fear that productivity has actually shrunk as working remotely can hinder employee engagement. Or some bosses want more interaction and collaboration, thinking it's easier for everyone to learn from one another another where they can chat in person on the fly. But For some CEOs, some of it just has to do with an old fashioned mindset with Dan Kaplan, a senior client partner at Corn Ferry, telling CNBC it's easier for executives to hold on to the old notion that people are really working if they can see them down the hall. It's almost too hard for some leaders to comprehend a world where that option doesn't exist or to consider a radical new approach. But many have also noted that companies that go super heavy handed on back to office policies might see that backfire. With Fortune, for example, pointing to reports that found that 73% of companies struggle to get workers back into the building. And the outlet also citing a report that found that 42% of companies that mandate that workers come to the office again had higher levels of employee attrition than they anticipated. With outlets like Axios noting that on top of losing talent, companies can also end up with a less diverse workforce and could also lose productivity. Some studies suggest that super strict hybrid policies lessen both employee productivity and satisfaction compared to models that offer more flexibility. Some studies also finding that stricter office policies can actually hurt company recruitment. With Joe Constanz, a reporter for Bloomberg News, telling CBS, Companies that require more days in the office are growing at a slower rate, um, especially those companies that require five days Uh, in the office. They're referencing a report from the Flex Index that found that flexible companies are adding staffers at twice the pace of full-time in-office companies, with fully remote companies specifically growing the fastest. Right, companies that only required one day in the office grew nearly 5% over a year, with that dropping to just under 4% for 4 days, at 2.6% for 5 days. because people quickly adapted to this work-from-home lifestyle, we don't live in the exact same world we used to. So there are some ideas from the pre-2020 world that almost seem unthinkable to office workers now. Because even as office mandates are increasing, going in for 5 days is becoming more and more with people wanting to have a choice and say as to when they spend time at home versus away from it. With Terry R. Kurtzberg, professor at Rutgers Business School, telling Inc. Especially in policy statements, it pays for organizations to recognize that insisting on anything feels a little bit like an affront to employees at this point. And so when people do feel like a company is overstepping schedule wise, some do quit. But also a very key thing is that for some companies, losing employees is sometimes the goal. With for example, CNBC putting out a report saying, strict return to office policies are sometimes just layoffs in disguise. Because instead of doing layoffs themselves, some places just hope that their office schedules will set enough people that they just leave on their own. And Dan Schaubel, a managing partner at Workplace Intelligence, telling CNBC that while companies would never come out and say it because of legal implications, some might use a return-to-office mandate as an opportunity to restructure its workforce. And they pointing to AT&T as a company that may have been using this strategy, with them recently requiring 26,000 managers in 50 states to work in person, but only at offices in nine places. So for many employees, that's a more than difficult task. And one we're saying that by making moves like this, companies are daring employees to quit. Because we're seeing return-to-office requirements go up, remote job listings have also have been falling throughout the year, which has actually been clashing with what a lot of people on the job hunt want. Right, according to CNBC, in late 2022, remote job listings made up less than 14% of LinkedIn postings. That, even though nearly half of the job seekers preferred remote roles. And all of this coming at a time when employees aren't in a super strong position. Right, Job openings have fallen, with Jacob Rowden, a research manager at the real estate and investment firm JLL, telling Ing, employees do not have as much leverage as they had a year ago or a year and a half ago to negotiate really anything from salaries to office attendance policies. And so the situation is also helping companies really lay down those back to office policies in the moment, with them very much being the ones with the upper hand right now. But as we wait to see this situation develop, I I gotta pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts, but also, what are your experiences here? If you have a job, are they trying to get you or someone else in the company back in? If you're on the job hunt, how has that affected things? I'd love to hear from you in those comments down below. And then, (laughs) let's talk about Yesterday Today, where we look at yesterday's show, where we covered numerous stories. We dive into those comments to see what mattered most to you and what y'all are saying. With the conversation yesterday really overwhelmingly being around that first story, the 11-year-old victim who was then threatened by police, People just absolutely disgusted. With top comments like, the way the officer was instantly combative and in blaming an 11 year old for being groomed is disgusting. What an absolute dumpster fire of a human being. People calling the situation absurd, saying it sounds like the officers were more interested in pursuing an easier arrest than apprehending a predator. There are also a number of people sharing their own similar stories. And one of the key takeaways from y'all seemed to be that, that situations like this are probably why so many people are silent. With people saying that threat is the reason why children remain silent when these creeps start blackmailing them. Also, in the comments, we had a number of people sounding off on the housing problem we talked about on the show, or was that specifically around off-campus housing at major universities, but it's getting responses like, I'm a university housing professional and I appreciate you raising awareness on the current student housing crisis. And noting my university currently only has enough occupancy for our first year students, and it breaks my heart to see our upper class students live in overpriced apartments. They also gave more insight on the situation, noting the housing rate issue, but also saying, many students do not have a driver's license, which limits their options for off-campus housing. And so that can make it difficult for them to find safe and affordable housing that is close to campus and their jobs. Also saying when considering partnering with private, companies to build and operate student housing, there are several concerns with this approach. First, these buildings are often not as well constructed as school-owned buildings and can require expensive repairs and renovations after only a few years. Second, these private companies may not have the expertise or resources to provide the mental health and crisis management services that students today need. What was interesting was that cutting corners aspect. That was something I saw numerous times in the comments. People saying things like, I'm currently a college senior and the inflation I have seen in my time alone is insane. But also it goes so much deeper than high rents. Buildings are being put up so fast that corners end up being cut and then it all begins to fall apart after only a year or two combine that with shitty landlords who think they can get away with anything because we're just kids make some places straight up unlivable and saying i know multiple people who have broken appliances never fixed and mold growing on their walls and never gets addressed the way a lot of students are forced to live is truly disgusting but that's where we are there also remember your comments in today's show might show up in the next one and that is where today's daily dive into the news is gonna end but also for more news you need to know i got you covered right here you can click or tap or i got links in the description down below and as always my name is philip defranco you've just been filled in i love your faces and i'll see you right Right back here for more news next time.